This is a Forwardly podcast. Dateline, Hollywood, California. There are eight million stories in the naked city. Why is it that Tinseltown can seem to tell those stories worth a damn? Never fear, dear listeners. There is a cure for this condition. Is there a doctor in the house? In fact, there's two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are inedible. Doctors, of course, (laughs) being myself. Dr. G and my esteemed colleague, Dr. D. How are you, Dr. D? I am dying to get into today's movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, tonight's film needs no introduction. No time to die. I'm going to start off as I usually do. Do. Give us a quick take. Uh, Well, I know that this this, uh, following comment will probably earn me the ire of Bond fanatics the world over. But I thought this was the best James Bond movie since 1969, period. Oh, shit. I was not prepared for you to say that in the least. Uh, Before I get to my actual thoughts, I will say that you had seen it and I was going in to see it. And we had a brief conversation and I said, I'm going in to see it. And you went, well, okay. And I thought. Oh, he hated it. So the whole time I was in it, I was expecting that we were going to have a big fight. And now it looks like we're not going to. No. Because I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Me too. More than I have enjoyed a James Bond movie in a really, really long time. Well, I, I have enjoyed all of Daniel Craig's Bond films more than I have others as a collection. Agreed. Um, and I really felt, um, like this was a a really great culmination of all of those installments. It, I mean, without, without giving away the ending too much in the first five minutes of the show, uh, it was the, I thought it was the perfect way to wrap up Uh, all events until now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree. But let's let's uh, let's get into it from the beginning, or as chronologically as we can go. Um, I'll be honest. I I wasn't able to take notes or anything while I was while I was watching. I only saw this one once. I wanted to get back again and see it a second time before this, but I just didn't have time. Oddly enough, I was totally prepared to take notes and didn't take a single one during the movie. <laughs> That's how much I was. You were wrapped up in it. In it. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I. You know. I. I confess that i came into this i did not uh give myself a refresher course mm-hmm. in the plot specifics of the last couple of daniel craig's yeah uh, I, I i was hoping that they weren't going to rely on it too much and bang up job they really didn't to the extent that they did they they with they had painless exposition to work through it painless yes um yeah so that was um that was also very well handled on their part and what's kind of interesting to me a little bit is i feel when taken as a whole these five 
Daniel Craig Bond films are more interrelated to one another, to my recollection, than any of the previous installments with individual, you know, actors, different actors playing Bond. I don't really feel like there just seems to be crossover of, of incidents and characters in a way that didn't used to happen. There, no, well, not to the extent that they did with, with Daniel Craig. There's been carryover for like two or three films okay. of a situation or a relationship with a side character, but uh, not to the extent like the Craig films where there's a central event in the first one that they're all referring back to. Right. It's all related to yeah. what happened there. Um, so yeah, I had noticed um, <clears throat> some of the old, older ones, all the older Craig ones were playing and I didn't sit down and, and soak them up ahead of time. In a way you could almost overexpose yourself to that because they're all very intense and I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I could not, imagine sitting down for a daniel craig marathon <laughs> that would be pretty exhausting and i think a lot of finer points would would get lost in the onslaught right it's almost like if i had you know watched one per week starting six weeks ago or eight weeks ago so that i was then you know fully up to speed but had a little break before right. i stepped into this one kind of a thing anyway uh, that's not how that's not how it happened. So, in point of fact, I can't specifically recall how it started, but I th can you remember how this one kicks off? Yeah. I've, oh, absolutely. He's driving through the Italian countryside yes. with uh, with uh, uh, I'm going to forget her name, Madeline, I think, uh, the Leia Sido yeah. character. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to visit the grave of. Uh, Vesper, the woman from Casino Royale. Right. They try to take him out, and then there's the fantastic motorcycle car sequence that they've been playing in every commercial and trailer ad nauseum. Right, right. Which I'll say to their credit was great because it's like, okay, we're going to get out of the way all the stuff, all the stuff I've seen little bits of already, and yeah, I'm going to be totally surprised for the right. rest of it. Right, right, right. You're not going to be um, wondering when it's going to come, you know, when right. it's finally going to appear. Um, and that was something that uh, I liked about this just as a general is that uh, it was a great plot and it kept you guessing. Yeah. You know, I was, I was really afraid that they were going to go down the road of M being a double agent. Yeah, it did feel that way at the beginning. At one point, you thought, wait a minute, what's he up to exactly? Because he's making those decisions like, oh, don't worry about it. We're doing it this way. You know, right, and, right. <clears throat> yeah, and I was glad they didn't They didn't go down that road. But they didn't even introduce it, really. It was right. Just... There was a little bit of a hint of it. I, I think if you and I both independently had that thought, there was something in the way they delivered it or presented him to kind of encourage us to maybe think the wrong thing for a minute, but not get too committed to this idea that wasn't going to really, really play out. And again, you know, another movie conceived of and filmed before COVID and yet a totally relevant oh, yeah. COVID analogous yeah. plot, which was kind of terrifying 
actually, I thought. Uh, you know, in general, I like the Daniel Craig's because they're not as cartoonish. Right. As a lot of the older yeah. ones. Outrageous, um, yeah. And and this one was the the first time where I felt like, ooh, that could happen. Yeah, that that could be in the works right now. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, that it was kind of like a, a, a an idea that I connected to as a viewer, uh, an idea for world domination or you know mass suffering that I connected to as a viewer in a more in more real terms than pretty much any previous. You know, I'm not really that worried that a guy is going to set up a laser beam on the moon. Right. Exactly. You know, but um, but that seemed entirely not just that it that it existed and that but that it would could just be it could just get loose even if it wasn't that guy it was somebody right um although you know there <laughs> there is an element of well there's nothing to stop it from happening again in the in the bond world really the bond universe the bond universe you can't destroy the poisonous idea uh i thought that uh that craig looked great mhm i i thought he was it was just humming. He hit every note that he was supposed to hit exactly the way he's supposed to hit it. Um, and none of it felt like rehash to me. I mean, I really felt like it was alive. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am starting to remember there is a, there is a kind of a flashback in the beginning where we set up, I guess it's Madeline as a, as a little girl. Oh, that's right. And, um, and an assassination attempt, sort of uh, roost, uh, you know, chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. That his family is being, you know, her father's, you know, bad actions in the world or whatever, misinformed actions in the world are coming back to haunt his family and the mother is killed and she gets away just, you know, by the grace of um, who will ultimately be the villain. Uh I thought maybe they could have made Remy Malik look a little older. I couldn't help, especially when he's on screen with her. I couldn't help mm -hmm. but think they look they're too close the same age. age. Yeah, yeah. And they look. Um, I think it's it's one of these things that I almost have to go back and see a second time to fully follow. Sort of in the way that some people do with. Mission Impossible movies. Mm. Um, that those are often considered tangled uh, narrative webs that you have to rewatch in order to fully understand what everything is. And at two hours and 45 minutes, there was just a lot coming at this, uh, this broadcaster. You know, it was hard yeah. for me to keep up all the way through. Um, but what I was clocking, I was having a lot of respect for. I guess I run the risk in watching it again that I lose respect for it a little. But uh, um, just to feel more comfortable with the way some of those some of the threads are connected to the earlier part of the story. I mean, I guess it tracks that she's from a family of spies and she grows up to be a spy, if you follow me. And marries her father. And marries her father, Yeah. So there's some stuff in there that feels like it's justifiable in a psychological way to me. I just wasn't, I wasn't tracking it as it was happening the way I needed to. And so I was kind of playing catch up sometimes. I, I, I saw it in regular digital. Did you see it in IMAX by any chance? No, I didn't. Yeah. If I get back to it, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it in the bigger. 
because it was shot for IMAX. This is one of the first films that's been handled differently Indeed. than other. Yes. And, and in fact, they had originally two or three pictures ago had said, oh, we're just shooting these in digital now. And then they started to change their intentions as they got involved, maybe with the other filmmakers or something. Interesting. Now I'll make a point of seeing it in IMAX before it goes. Yeah, I should. I, I went opening weekend and I didn't want to deal with the kind of crowds that the more special um, technology, presentational technology would, you know. Yeah, the I theater, mean, I, when I bought my ticket, there were zero people in it. But at the same time, there was one starting with an IMAX that had 300 people in it. I was like, okay, I don't need to be with 300 people. However you see it, see it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, uh, so what else? There were I, I felt like there were more women in this in this uh, installment in a way than have ever been before. Yes, that is true. And it, it seems like maybe more of the same uh, moving forward. There was something I never kind of um, understood about understood isn't the right word, but you know, through all these years, however, 30 some odd, 40 some odd, uh, bond installments, um, starting with Daniel Craig, it was kind of the first time that I felt like, Oh, I see his number is just a designation and that can go to other people. Oh yeah. He just happens to be the 007. That's the 007 now. Um, and so it felt very natural that if he had retired, which presumably he had, that they that, reuse that the number. They're not going to re- retire the number. They could do that, or they just reuse the number. And so I sort of see, I see Bond as a the sort of character and the overreaching thing as more alive now than I used to. I used to sort of see it as just this compartmentalized uh, episodes, unrelated to the ones that came before. And I just feel like it lives for me now in a way that it didn't used to. Mm. And so, and I and I don't expect to feel quite the same degree of um, disconnect when the part is recast and possibly retired. It's going to be real interesting to see where they. I am they really interested. Yeah, I mean. Uh, anyway, so I was a little. I'm a little bit fuzzy. So he had Leah Sadu, or however you pronounce her name. <laughs> And was she was not and she was not MI six or she was not part of any organization that he's part of, right? No. no. Okay. Um, we had well Anna de Armas. Hold on, she yeah may have been because she was uh, she was Blofeld's officially appointed psychiatrist, right? Oh, right, 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 right. So, so she was with. Gotcha. She wasn't. She wasn't an agent per se, but in she, that sense. But she might have been. Yeah. Somehow okay. a British government employee. And she's someone who can handle herself in a crisis, as she proved when she was young. Uh, um, then we had Ana de Armas, who I thought was going to have a bigger part in this. I I kind of did too. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd hoped. I guess there just wasn't room for. You know, unless she was going to play the love interest, which I think she's way too young for that. Um, well, like, you know, Carrie, Carrie Grant and uh, and um, Audrey Hepburn and Charade. <laughs> it's um, like, he's well, old enough to be your grandfather. I'm I, I'm I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to argue the uh, 
properness is <laughs> such a tryst where one uh, right but right. um i mean really organically there's not i mean you can argue that you don't even need her character you could have written all the whole Cuba sequence is just Bond alone. You can absolutely do that. But here's the thing. And in fact, if she had played the other, you know, agent, if she'd played, you know, the new 007, she would have had even less screen time in a way. Um, yes. However, well, it's really good that they didn't do that. Yes, I agree with you. And here's the thing. I thought she was fantastic. Yes, she did. She I was, thought she was she kicked ass in exactly yeah. the right way. Um, it was not too far. That dress was phenomenal. Was she had this dressy. black dress that had the, the slit like from the hip mm -hmm. all the way down to almost ankle length. And so it would move like a cape on. It was it was beautiful to she watch her move a, in it. She could deliver a kick. And she could deliver a kick. She could do everything she needed to. And um uh, you know, a afterwards I read a little bit and, and, and confirmed what I suspected, which was that Daniel Craig hat was instrumental in getting her cast here after their work together on Knives Out. Yes. And when you think about that sort of mousy but cunning character she played in Knives Out versus this very outward and aggressive and, and all of that, it's just, it shows her range and that she can deliver on both ends of that spectrum. And I thought that uh, uh, Lashana Lynch... Mm -hmm. who I can't think of the character name. That's then funny. Nomi? She was Nomi. Yes, okay. Nomi. The, the, um, the new uh, 007. The, the new 007. I thought she was terrific as well. Yes. Um, and in fact, this is, I, I, I'm not familiar with her work, so I don't know how much else she's done. But uh, just in response to your Ana de Armas comment a minute yeah. ago, um, no, the it's it's the the confidence and the assuredness with which Lynch delivered just about every line mm -hmm. that made it extremely believable. And that she absolutely be, she'd be tapped for a double O. She really had authority and she owned her space and there was sort of no question in her mind that she belonged there. And so there was no question in my mind that she belonged there. Yeah. Um and that said, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a Paloma offshoot. Oh. Because, yeah. I mean, it was just nicely done the whole, you know, hey, I had three weeks training, you know. But then she actually does right. kick ass. <laughs> and it's almost over before it started. Right. And it's like, oh, right. she can handle herself. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it had the feeling almost of like, setting up a character for holy crap that's a really interesting idea that after all these decades they would try doing a splinter a, a spin-off yeah yeah why else introduce her i don't know right right no that's that's pretty fair that since since her presence isn't instrumental to the resolution of the plot in any really meaningful way that you couldn't have gotten around um or or she's there to appear in a similar position in future installments. Right. Like she might be the that new she's Felix lighter. She might be the new Felix. Yeah. Um, and be just as, in fact, I think she could probably take Felix. She seems like she might've been able to, 
<laughs> take him down. Felix's later years uh, really started to show. There were a few, few too many weekends at home around the barbecue, yes. I think. Uh, quite possibly. Um, Poor Jeffrey Wright. What a thank! It, it's almost a thankless role. In a way, it is, but I was always so happy to see him there for, in all of these um, Craig installments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, listen, I was beside myself in the theater when they were in that ship that was going down, and he was gut shot. And I'm like, gut shot and in a ship that's going down is not a good combination. And uh, I really was not happy. I was really saddened by yeah by that. Um, and oddly enough, that's the second that's the second person that Daniel Craig's bond has had drown in front of D- him. die on his die on his watch and drown in front of him. Absolutely. You're right. Oh, I hadn't made that connection. Oh, my God. I was thinking about M. I was thinking about Judy Dench. But you're talking about about Vesper. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You see, that's what I'm talking about at the levels of thought that they're putting into this thing. Yeah. Um, that was really, that was really, uh, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't even as upset in a way by M's death as I was by. Oh, how could you be? It's Judy Dench. God. <laughs> I know I'm going to see her in a million other things. Um. And much like the double O numbers, her letter is just reassigned. <laughs> right. When they killed him, I just went, oh, this is, they're doing some stuff that they've never done before. This feels different to me. Now, I could and be I, wrong. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Uh, I believe they've killed off Felix Leiter in one other installment. That is entirely possible, but I didn't care. No. It wasn't so much the character as it was uh, the combination of the character. And, and the moment. Uh, yeah. And the actor. And oh, okay. and, sure. and Jeffrey Wright. The combination of all three and the moment. Yeah. Uh, no, what I was going to say is I think... I think that putting me in the mindset of, oh my God, they're doing things differently here was in service of their own end game. Mm -hmm. Because when they finally got where they were going, I was, if Felix hadn't died, I don't know how I could have processed that. Mm -hmm. The very end. That that opened the door for me to go, oh, people are going to die here. See, just, I didn't have that feeling only because I, I, I know that he was, I mean, now I'm thinking about it more and more. They have killed him off once before. So it wasn't right. It, like it sucked in this movie. It totally sucks, but I, mm-hmm. it, it didn't, it didn't prepare me for them taking unusual steps. Like it did. Okay. You. In fact, okay. if what anything, uh, I, I was expecting Leia Sado to be killed because yeah he he never ends up with a woman so you know right 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 so that it would be um right right yeah well (laughs) well they still got to that same ending they still got to the part where they don't end up together yes it's true they just found a a a pretty intense uh way to do it And and what oh well no sorry it's okay. Uh, I'm trying to think about like, I'm not really prepared to go kind of scene by scene or even sequence by sequence. There's so many stunning action sequences and, you know, um, 
you know, fights he, and chases, and yeah. it's just too much. But but at the same time, they were all very realistic set pieces. You know, maybe the right. only time I quibbled with something was when he tips the car over on the guy. I just yeah. thought that was like it almost smacked of like a Schwarzenegger type action movie. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a little too kind of cutesy. Remind me who the guy was. Uh, that was the guy who uh, Felix had introduced him to this kind of mm. the sparky political hire. Yes, yes. Um, I remember him now. The and guy who he, smiles too much. Yes, the guy who smiles too much. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who wishes yeah. he was an army hammer. So, so it's not that you have a problem with him being crushed by his own vehicle. Your problem was the that Bond was the one who made it fall. Yeah, I guess it was just too easy. Mm. It, it was too too conveniently set up for that kind of dispatch. I feel like okay, okay. I feel like you know Bond doesn't really. You know there aren't too many moments where you know he just has to, you know, take one feather off and right. then they fall off the cliff. I mean, you could have you you could have had bad. The bad version is the guy could say. Everything else is exactly the same. The guy says, um, so you're going to kill me. And Bond says, nope, but I'm not going to help you. And he walks away as the as the car falls over. Yeah. That, that of its own accord. Yeah, that already would be a little better. Mm-hmm. There, there were a couple of small things that I think they could have done differently and maybe should have, or at least in my preference. Um, yeah, what... Well, the biggest thing really was the casting of the Russian scientist. Yeah. And okay. No, no, he's a little too comic relief, like the goofy Russian, you know. Right. Almost felt out of like GoldenEye era. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it was the only, I, I feel like that was the only uh, gravitational tug towards the cartoonishness that I think they Mm -hmm. so studiously avoided everywhere else and there's also that scene when he visits blofeld and strangles yeah now the prolonged stranglehold Mm -hmm. where whoever's being strangled just may die and show how 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 wrong and and far from the path of decency our hero's actions have gone i feel like that's that's an old note to play and what i and i i mean obviously i understand why they have to have him make physical contact with blofeld but what i wish because i feel like that sort of like oh i i i lost sense of who i was when i tried to choke this person to death i should let go now i don't feel like that's a james bond moment i would have rather that blofeld says something to set him off and he just impulsively grabs him but then almost as instantly pulls mm, back backs off yeah like, like well that that's the extent to which he let his emotions get the better of him not not all the way well i will say in kind of a 
counter positioning to that, but I'm not really arguing the point, um, is that one of the things that I really loved about his bond when he came onto the scene, I guess it was in Casino Royale. Ooh. I think that was the first Craig, Craig one. Craig. Yes, it was. What's those first 15 minutes or so where he just came off as a street thug animal? That's a little extreme, I think. Okay. I, I just, I'm so used to the suave, tuxedoed, calm guy. And this was a guy in a brutal fight in a bathroom. Yeah, you know, but you just know Just like what? a grappling. Yeah. There was something very. Yeah. That his origins were more volcanic than previous yeah. bonds. It was, it was the first time the character was treated as someone who's not, for lack of a better term, not fighting nice. Right. And within that framework, I don't mind him strangling somebody, but it was awkward because he was not, it wasn't like he had him in an alley somewhere. He was on full right. view and it wasn't really. And and let's be fair also, uh, you know, the, the, the previous popular Bonds, you know, Pierce Brosnan, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know Roger Moore. You know they're very quaffed. They don't get in messy, messy brawls. Right. And right. you take one look at Daniel Craig, and it's like, yeah, I'm not fucking with him. This guy. Yeah. You know. Well, and as long as we're saying that, I mean, his he looked so fierce to me in this. The way the the way his shirts fit him or whatever it was, mm -hmm. it just looked like a fucking brick shit house. Just muscles. Yeah. under there he seemed more terrifying to me than any of the sort of you know stallone and schwarzenegger where you've got all these bulging rippling muscles that are showing everywhere it was like this motherfucker doesn't need to show his strength it is hiding in there he is therefore so much more fearsome to me yeah and it makes everything um, more believable yeah but i did here's the thing i think i think you may be right about the strangle moment for a couple of reasons one is which he went in there and he's choking him and choking him and choking him and okay that's fine and we're watching wondering oh is he going to kill him is he not going to kill him and we're kind of rooting we don't know where we're rooting for it but there's this extended moment of will he or won't he kill will he or won't he die and then it ends with no he's not killing him no he's not dying and it gave us time to forget that bond's hands were infected right right which I... and and so because i was about to say that in your version, when he walked up and just put his hands around the throat and then he let go, the guy is still going to die anyway. It was still that action that killed him. Exactly. Right. Um, and so it can easily be that. It doesn't need to be long and drawn out and painful That's and my whatever. Point. That's my because, point. Because I'd actually sort of forgotten about everything by the time we cut back to Blofeld and I had to sort of remind myself, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was... Well, I, I wasn't sure why... He didn't look more kind of, I felt like it, the way people died in exposure to this thing was kind of in, inconsistent. Well, what I didn't understand was why Blofeld was completely silent in what was demonstrated to all of us as an agonizing death. Right, right. Uh, true. And no, no external. I mean, it wasn't like yeah, there was, was any bubbling bit, of his not, skin. Or, yeah. Um maybe that's the volume of stuff you're exposed to, it, you know, but now we're having to do science. We're having to do imaginary uh, science maybe, to explain why. Blofeld is such a pussy that he just passes out at the first page. A f right. A foot and a half away from them. Neither one of them notice a guy going through death rows. 
let alone you know vacating his 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 uh, bowels yeah whatever right (laughs) yeah um so yeah okay i'm with you there um i know what i wanted to say i was in touch with something in the first i don't know i would say two-thirds of the movie when it's sort of taking place in the real world that i recognize as the real world Mm -hmm. somehow it all seemed more gritty to me more real to me then if I go back and pick any one of those, you know, Sean Connery ones, everything seems so sort of manufactured and so controlled, the environment. Yeah. But here I really feel like this bond lives not just because of the time frame, not just because they're making it and it's supposed to be current, but I mean, he lives in the same world I live in. I never felt like Sean Connery or Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan. I didn't feel like they lived in the world I live in. Right. But Daniel Craig. Even as I... Or, right. or or just specifically this title of Daniel Craig. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Well, even some of the pr- the previous ones, but yeah. Um, well, but, I, I would agree with you, although I would add one caveat, which is yeah, I don't know anyone who's got a place in Jamaica like that. It's only the most perfect looking. <laughs> right. They they built that for the movie. Uh, did they? Yeah. I thought I no. I thought I read that that used to be Chris Blackwell's place. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of something else then. I I had read, I thought that it was built for the movie, but Chris, I'm not sure I know who Chris Blackwell Chris is. Chris Blackwell um, is a, a music producer. He's the guy who started Island Records. He was a white Ooh. Brit or South African. He's going to probably get killed for that. Um, who spent time over in Jamaica and fell in love with Jamaican music and created a record label to bring Jamaican music to the world. And that was Island Records. And in fact, wow. he has a oh. cameo in the first James Bond movie, Dr. No. There's a scene where he goes out to some local club and I know and that scene. They, they My wife and I just watched up, these movies, jump up Jamaica. And there's this one yeah. guy who suddenly takes the floor doing this dance. That's Chris Blackwell. Mm. That's hilarious. We were horrified watching that sequence, my wife and I. Because a white guy jumped out and busted me. Because the whole thing is of questionable taste. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I felt. Um, it it, it certainly quickly... is reflective of its time and how the white world considered Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So what, what, so, so, so what is your relationship with the Bond series and with the, the previous actors who have played him? Hmm. <clears throat> well i mean because i mean let's face it i mean they're obviously every generation there's a there are bond versions coming around but mm-hmm. you know we've we've been watching them for 30 40 years what you think? right i mean by the time i was a an aware film going person it was uh roger moore mm. and i can remember seeing probably octopusy in theaters and i can remember seeing the one with space <laughs> to live and let die. I don't know. Moonraker. Yeah. yeah. I can remember seeing those in theaters. Um, but I was never, I was never interested in Roger Moore. He just always, I was always much more interested in Connery, in Connery yeah. but I was growing up at a time where you didn't have access. Now you can get everything that was ever happened. Right. So, no, no, no. I'm, you know. I'm from that time when they, when, you know, they right. the spy so, who loved me on TV. It was like, big effing exactly yeah yeah 
Um, and it was always but... on Sunday night too, which always pissed me off. <laughs> Things would go on for three hours. Got to go to school the next day. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't think it was. I'm not even. I mean, and and forget about uh, what's his name in Secret Service, the one-off guy. Oh, George Lazenby. George Lazenby. Yeah. I it's there's he's not as offensive to me as Roger Moore, but he's not as awesome as. And I really felt like um, Roger Moore could not be beaten. Is how I felt. Not Roger. Sorry, uh, Sean Connery could not be beaten, and I felt that way for a long time. Oh man! Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> well, now we're having a conversation. Yeah. Now no. we're having a fight. <laughs> um, Timothy Dalton is just a flat line. I actually like Timothy Dalton as Bond. I just think he got saddled with two of the worst stories oh. in the whole series. <laughs> But as far as like what he did with the character, it's kind of like the Dark Knight version of James Bond. He's just broody and pissed off at something <laughs> all the time. Right. Um, and I started. I was a little more interested in Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, you know, everyone. When, when Timothy Dalton came out, everyone had already been saying it should be Pierce Brosnan because of Remington. Yeah, it was. In fact, so I think it was supposed to be, and there were contract issues, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, I think you're right. That that rings a bell. Um, yeah, he was he was fine. It was kind of like at that point, too little, too late. It was like, I mean, how many years had passed in between the first Dalton and the first Brosnan? I kind of like had moved on. I think at that point, I was just like, yeah, you should have done this ten years ago. Right, <laughs> right. Well, uh, there is one, and also, uh, and yeah, Goldeneye was no exciting intro to a new. Oh, that's funny. To a new bond. Uh, I guess so. It's so funny because my, okay, I've got a couple of things to say, but one just really briefly on Goldeneye is that I don't remember the movie specifically or whether or not I enjoyed the movie itself, but no one does. Uh, but there was a, there was like a fairly big video game that came out on the N64 or something like that. And I played that obsessively. And so I have very fond recollections of Goldeneye, but not necessarily the movie, the game, but there's one other thing that I always marveled at, which is this little moment from, it probably is Goldeneye, I can't remember, but it's in the trailer for one of the, um, for one of the Brosnan. Uh, and I think I've told you this before, but just in case I haven't, um, he's pinned behind a pillar. The bad guys are, are shooting at him mm -hmm. and he is reloading his gun as he's being barraged by bullets. And mm -hmm. the, the, the stone pillar around him is, is, you know, splintering and fragmenting as he's doing this. And he just has this really small little gesture like it's a mosquito to him. Like, it would make me shit my pants to be in that, that position and have that going on around me. To him, it is a mere trifle as he reloads his gun. And to me, I was like, that tiny moment there of, I don't care about what's happening around me. I'm going to stay on mission. That was Bond to me. That spoke to me more mm. Bond than any of the other stuff in any of the other movies that had come prior to that and maybe kind of changed my the way in which I plugged into the, the franchise a little differently. But I can't remember who is after Pierce Brosnan. Instantly forgettable. Who? What do you mean? Who's after Pierce Brosnan? Is James yes. Bond? Daniel Craig. Oh, it was. It was Pierce Brosnan until it was Daniel Craig? Yeah. I was thinking there might there was there had to be one in between there because how long was that? No, Brosnan Brosnan did four movies. Um, one was Goldeneye. Wasn't that like 91, 93? At the latest. Like um, 
when was Casino Royale? Like 2005, 2006? It just feels like there there was time for somebody else in there, but they may have had two or three you know years before an installment. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, well then, then and so at this point, I have to be honest, Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond. He has yeah, he's, I, I will say that he has too. unseated uh, Roger Moore. No, sorry, <laughs> keep doing that. Wow. <laughs> he who shall not oh. be remembered. Um, the the great and wonderful, irreplaceable Sean Connery. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like a lot of people, like I liked Sean. I liked uh, Sean, Connery. I liked Sean Connery the best. Um, <laughs> You know, for a long time, certainly he had the best plots. I think, um, and they were mostly straight from the books. For the most part, yes, yeah. that's true. Um, you know, the thing I liked about Craig was, you know, they, they've never really discussed uh, Bond's origins. Yeah, but the feeling I always got from Sean Connery was. That he was a smart agent at first who had to be trained to fight and kill. Hmm. I, I can't, I, I have absolutely no, no evidence. Justification that for that, but I understand what you're saying. But Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. it, it feel, he feels like, like he was naturally like fearless ready to ready to fight i'm going to paraphrase and say back to you what i think you're saying which is that that uh sean connery or seanery as he shall now herefore be known um was an agent who in a sense had to be taught how to become a murderer and daniel craig was a murderer who learned how to be an agent yeah yeah that's that's the feeling that those two their two portrayals give me yeah. Um, and I think that's fair. And I think that's kind of what I was kind of a, it's a way of saying what I was saying before about when we first met him, I felt like he was an animal. Yeah. He was more about the violence than he was about the cunning. Um, the, the plotting. Yeah. Uh, he was cunning. His violence was cunning. Certainly. Um, that's really kind of a interesting way to look at it. Um, uh, R- Rami Malek, I think, makes a perfectly fine Bond villain. Yeah, a genuinely creepy villain. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 believable. I mean, I I didn't have any any trouble with him. Some every once in a while, you get a Bond villain who you kind of have to go, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, right. Fine. The cartoonishness. Um, of which I. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, I liked seeing uh, Christoph Waltz. Waltz come back. Yeah, um, I thought that was uh, f- I'm glad fun they, to do. They didn't play up too much on the uh, "we're brothers" angle. You know, it's mentioned. Right. You know, which I'm sure was right. you know a refreshing little reminder for people like me. But um, it, it it really didn't go very far in this one, which I was kind of relieved at. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and like I was saying, the first two thirds felt like it took place in my world in the last, basically the last act. Once we get to the island, now we're kind of on, uh, you know, old Bond cliche 
the Villains Island stuff. And um, but they covered it. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I feel like they 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 covered it well in this case because it was initially a World War II submarine station, right? That then got dressed up by a villain. It's like that makes sense. It had pre-existing infrastructure that then a villain took over, rather than he he installed all of this right, magnificent than stuff. Right, somehow in a, he secretly built a lair, an impenetrable yeah, lair, yeah. in an extinct volcano. That's you know what that is a, a, a excellent point you make, and it doesn't exactly address what I was saying, but it does help. I just felt less like I was seeing my own world when we were in the third act than I was seeing kind of a somewhat. Uh, you know, stereotypical bond location. When there's all that talk in the final pre-climax moments of uh, the mm-hmm. airstrike and the, uh, the, the there's reference from M and little little M, lowercase, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's Q. No, 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 no. The, the, the guy who's always following M around oh, and interrupting yes. some new See. information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, little M, lowercase. Um, <laughs> you know they 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 reference you know uh, Bond. This is this is becoming quite an international row. Just mm-hmm. just the presence yeah. of warships in the area, and right. I a part of me wishes that in that shot of Ray Fiennes telling him that that behind him there's not even necessarily fully visible. It's cut off, slightly out of focus, but there's BBC and right. scroll at the bottom and talking heads and stock footage of military so that it, right. That, you know, I like the idea that, you know, for once Bond's actions have like a real world consequence. in real Yeah. Time, ripple in real time. Ripple effects that can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that is cool, and you're starting to change me on my feeling that the last two-thirds maybe I didn't feel as connected because I think that was just me, and I think they did make some efforts to to connect things. Now, as long as we've brought up the missile strikes, I think we're very close to... Uh, we're very, unless, hang on, before, before we jump into that, you had asked me what my connection with Bond was, and you were yesing and knowing as I went along, but tell me a little bit about what your Bond, your history with the franchise oh. is. Well, it was pretty much the same as yours. I mean, I grew up, uh, Moonraker was the first one I saw in a theater. Um, right. And, you know, caught them all on television and then video. And, you know, when your choice, when, you know, when, when, when the debate was between Connery and Moore, I mean, it really wasn't a debate. I don't think I've ever run into no. anyone who, who, who preferred Moore to Connery. I think everyone just put up with Moore and, mm-hmm. you know, hoping he was going to retire sooner than he did. Um, and then I I, was, I did the two Daltons, and then I did uh, um, the first two Pierce Brosnans, uh, Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. And then I just I just kind of started losing interest because it started to feel very formulaic. Yeah. Um, you know, and then at some point, you know, the Bourne movies came out, and it was like, oh, here's a James Bond we can all relate to. And right, you know, I uh, definitely. Definitely, James Bond as a franchise has more competition now than it ever did before. And I feel like they stepped up the game. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
you know, and then Daniel Craig came out and, you know, Casino Royale, I really, really liked. And I thought he was, I thought he was re- like, he had a real charisma, a real magnetism. It's like, you know, I believe this guy in a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get in his bad side. Right, right. <laughs> um, you've mentioned a couple of things through the course of this that you wish had been different or didn't go the way you wanted mm-hmm. or what you were expected or whatever. I have one that I want to say yeah. that is almost puts me on the edge of of thumbs down for this movie. Oh, come on. Yeah, seriously. No, no. For this as is, this is, you this enjoyed is... it, there's one thing that on which the balance teeters. Well... As you know, we habitually, both of us, but also the royal we, habitually uh, avoid trailers. But I did see in a trailer an image that is not in this movie that I spent the whole movie waiting to see. Are you sure? I'm absolutely sure because I went and saw the trailer again. What's the image? And now I understand why I misunderstood. But it was Craig coming out of the water in the in the uh boy shorts swim trunks where you got the abs and the v and the whole thing and the bulge you got all of it in that shot of him coming out of the water half naked and i wanted to see him come out of the water half naked again well you know it's funny that you say that because i remember that shot now too you know if they had left it in the movie (laughs) yeah that would have uh, that would have been an homage to Doctor No. Sure, Ursula Andress comes out of the water. Absolutely, um, which is what it was, which is what it was when it first appeared, because it's not from this movie. The trailer says every adventure he's had up until now has been leading to this, and those words are separated by shots of all the previous Craigs. And so one of them is him coming out of the water in the thing, which is, I don't remember the, it was either Casino Royale or the one that followed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at that time we all remarked at how Uh, it was a nod to Ursula Andress. So uh, it was my own dumb fault. I should have recognized the, uh, no, that's okay. I mean, the swim trunks. If if, if that, if that little clip appears in the, you know, all the adventures he's had before. I'm not sure exactly what adventure he's having at that moment. <laughs> Unless it's that he was able to come out of the water, not shriveled. Uh, that's true. Well, either that was very warm water or God has blessed him because um, he is none the worse for the ocean in that shot. Um, no, he's not getting back to the missiles that are, you have nine minutes. Yeah. Now I, I would be interested in going back in with a stopwatch and finding out, was it actually nine screen minutes? Cause I would always be very impressed if they did that in real time. See, I was thinking how far out of those ships that those missiles would take nine minutes. Nine minutes seems like a long time. Right. It's, I, I mean, from what little I know of, uh, of, of missiles, seems like they can cover a lot of ground in nine minutes. Uh, yes, I agree. I don't exactly know. I, I think the nine minutes might be more a screenwriter construct than it is based than reality. it is a um, based on reality. Because if you just stop for a second, you go, okay, well, what if it's seven minutes? What if it's five minutes? How much do we actually have time to do? We're not going to do it in real time, but we need to be able to cheat it so it's believable that, that it, it was the right amount of time. 
And in point of fact, they could have changed that number along the way. It could have been five minutes in the script. And then when they got it on the screen, they went, this is ridiculous. How is he doing all of that in five minutes? Because yeah. you only ever see it as a voiceover. You only ever yeah. hear the number nine. Um, and so that could have been something that they, they changed a little as they went. But um, yeah, there's, there's that part of you that goes like, you go, oh, well, that's going to be great. He's going to do all this shit in nine minutes and he's going to get someplace safe. And then eventually go, well, he's probably not going to get off the island. He's going to have to be on the island, but someplace safe on the island. Right. He's going to do and that then you keep negotiating into the water. As yeah, a right. As the thing him. goes. So you start making all these sort of deals with yourself about how is he going to get out of this? And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, wait a minute, there's very little time left. And now he's standing and I really kind of like the scene is that he's on the radio with um, Leia Sido. Madeline. Yeah, Madeline. Yeah, with Madeline. And he's looking at the island that he knows she's on. Yeah. And she's just sort of in a, almost in a fetal ball crying and talking to him on the thing. She's not looking off in his direction. But, but he was playing it as though they were in the same room in a way, um, which I really, really dug. Uh, and then you just go, oh. Yeah, he's not. Wait, what's going to happen? And then you're, I'm still thinking, oh, well, he'll turn and jump at the last second or something. It's fucking James Bond. Right. And that fucking bomb hits. I know. Oh, my God. I went, I just went, oh, in the actual theater. Uh, yeah. And I was the only person in the theater making noises, but. And then I was in a fetal ball crying like Leo Sadu. Uh... I just. I just, as you can hear it in my voice now, I was stunned then. I'm still kind of stunned. I'm like, they, they never, fucking killed him. I know. I never would have guessed that that's where they went. And it was the first, I mean, the first thing I said to my wife when she asked me how it was, was I said, I can't believe they actually had the balls to kill him off. <laughs> oh my God. I see. I haven't told my wife yet. Oh, she didn't see it. Uh... No, no, no. She wouldn't go. She was like, I don't care enough about that. But I I know there are things about it she would like, so I don't want to spoil it for her. Not the least of which is uh, the theme song in the beginning. Uh, yeah, I wasn't crazy about that theme song, I got to say. That, that was a little bit of a downer of the theme song. That didn't really... <clears throat> I just, as I'm listening, I went, oh, this is, uh, this is uh, Eilish. I could tell from listening it was uh, yeah. Billie Eilish. Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's actually kind of perfect when you think about other pop stars who have done the Bond songs over the course of the years. Mm -hmm. She seems like a kind of a on-the-nose choice. And I, I didn't really care. I've never cared one way or another about a Bond song. But apparently they mean a lot to, you know, the franchise. Yes, they do. They have a history of getting to number one in England and, you know, debuting and selling right. tens of thousands of copies. Much and like so there's on. a built-in so. audience for the James Bond movie. I mean, even the Timothy Dalton's right. made money. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't tell her. And I was just, I was stunned. And in a way, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to wish that Sean Connery hadn't passed away. But one of them was I wish he'd been alive to see Daniel Craig get out of the franchise in the right way. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> they ain't bringing him back. <laughs> and if they do, it would be as a horrifically disfigured. I mean, I almost wish they would. You know, as a guy in a bed wrapped in gauze 
just whatever. But no, here's the thing is he knew he was never going to be able to be near her again. And I, even then I was thinking, okay, so if he gets out of this, it means the two of them are never going to be near each other. He's never going to get to be near that little girl again. And I was like, this is heartbreaking sadness forever. I, that's, I loved that, that twist, that revelation that Remy Mallet yeah. gives. I just thought that is fantastic. And then it yeah. made it totally like, you know, really from that point on, once it was clear from his actions that he wasn't in a rush, I was like, I can't believe they're going to do this. I can't believe they're going right. to do this. <laughs> oh, you were there. You were with it. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in the other camp desperate to have it not happen, but oh, I wish I'd been in your space. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I was, I, I was just stunned. And I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It, it, it is a, yeah. Yeah. Even without any of the characters' backstory and history, that's just that was just a beautiful setup. Yeah. Of given given the you know the, the and through the course and, of the movie, I I had become a little honestly I'd become a little tired of his relationship with the woman, which was some sort of echo of his relationship with Vesper, and then the girl is in here, and now suddenly I feel like I'm watching Aliens and. And, you know, Sigourney Weaver's trying to save, you know, Newt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and how out of place Newt seemed and all of that. And, and it was just sort of, I, I was starting to get a little annoyed by all of it. And like, why do we have kids here? Why do we have this, you know, yeah. this fake family for him? And then when they went, oh, yeah, but he can never have them. I went, oh, that's why they're here. Right. They're not here for me. They're here for him. Right. Right. Um, and then I, so I had a whole different cusp, level of respect for it. having the life, the rest of the life he wanted to have. Yeah. Cause he was in retirement, but and, it was empty and reunited with his love. And yeah. Okay. There's two more things I want to get into before I can do my final take here. One yeah. is just to double back to something we were talking about before. This is a, uh, and maybe I have it wrong. I'll just read it out loud to you. It's in the trivia of the IMDb page. So for whatever that's worth, of course it is. Producer, fuck you. Producer Barbara Broccoli has said of this Bond film, Bond is not on active service when we start the film. He's enjoying himself while in Jamaica, uh, st starts his journey there. We built an extraordinary house for him. 500 local people are working on the film already. Huh. Okay. So I will double check that against your, um, your assertion. Um, but... The other thing I wanted to just touch on, since we have talked maybe even a little bit more than we sometimes do, shame on us, about the um, writing of this item, uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade worked together. Yes. Uh, the director, who we should also give a shout out to, Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Fukunaga. Fukunaga, who did an excellent job. Amazing. Uh, and who. Beasts of No Nation. Beasts of No Nation, I was going to say. No stranger to this show. Um. He also did a pass by himself, but they, he, uh, Daniel Craig tapped another writer. Do you know the name? Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yep. And I just think that's really kind of interesting and cool because I don't associate her with this world at all. Yeah. You or know, anything like it. That, that was also kind of nice was that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't very obvious what her input was. There's not a lot of mm -hmm. sticky humor in this at all. Right. There isn't a kooky female robot character. 
for her to supply the lawn suit. So yeah, <laughs> you're hilarious. For, for whatever, for whatever, whatever impact she had on, on the final product, bravo. Right. Well, here's the thing: is that she uh, there's not there's not really a here's the thing, but addressing your your comment there, I had recently seen. I have yet to see Fleabag, which I I know is uh, shame on me. I will get to it. Um, but I did happen to go back and watch her previous show that she created and starred in and wrote, which is called Crashing, called Crashing, and it's not quite as funny. I don't think as as Fleabag was, but it is uh, humorous. But it really does have interpersonal relationships. Mm. And I have a feeling that that's probably where everyone else was falling down, was in representing uh, a female perspective for many of these extra women that they never were dealing with before uh, as characters. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I... I should also qualify my uh, my horrible comment yeah. from five minutes ago. Uh, I've not seen Fleabag. Uh, I only know of her from her work in Solo and from hosting mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. And from right. those two things, I have only gleaned that she is a comedian. She's considered a humorous writer. So my comment about her input here was really more of a reflection of the fact that there's not a lot of humor here. So right. now that you say this show crashing is really about interpersonal relationships, well, I suspect there's some 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 genuine stuff going on in Fleabag also. Right. Hats off to Daniel Craig for seeing the value of someone who could write like her and and include her in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think I have come to uh, the end of my comments, with the exception of my final take. Do you think you've got everything out of your system? Uh, yes, except for my final take. I'll be really quick with mine, which is just that uh, that I really enjoyed it. Even at this length, um, I was involved throughout and impressed throughout with the writing, with the acting, with the casting, with the stunts. Um, I just thought it was great and that uh, the ending took my breath away. Um, well, I have to address the length issue because we didn't talk about it during the show. So this is not technically mm-hmm. part of my final, but, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't have a problem with the pacing of this movie at all. And I was expecting to, but I felt like mm. every, every sequence moved the way it should. The whole, the, the, the story progressed the way I thought I, I couldn't tell it was almost three hours. Wow. Okay. Now my final take for all the years that I have trashed the broccolis and their inflated, what I, what I used to consider their inflated sense of worth because of this, you know, this male adolescent sex hero character of theirs. (laughs) Well, I take it all back because I feel like this, this movie righted the wrongs of Bond movies going back 30 years. Wow. Yeah. That's great. No, I'm serious. I, I, in my opinion, the best Bond movies were You Only Live Twice and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, even though George Lazenby mm. is a black hole. <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I said at the top of the show that I thought this is the best Bond since 1969, and I wasn't exaggerating. I mean, yeah, like you, in my mind, That's great. you can leapfrog from On Her Majesty's Secret Service to Casino Royale to this one. and get <laughs> okay, and go from there. 
skip over all the rest. Well, well I, for one, urge anyone who hasn't seen it to go and see it. I can't imagine you to listen to all this and then not have seen it. But I, I myself am going to go see it again, I know. As am I. As yeah. am I, definitely. All right, we have... Um, we have two more uh, things to get into here, but first I just want to take a little a little side trip and uh, encourage the listeners to join this conversation that Dr. G and myself are having. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, or you can write to us uh, at our email address, hwoodrx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about what we've said, what we haven't said, what you think we should be talking about, um, what you're talking about. Please add your voice to this conversation. Use our social medias. You can find them listed in the uh, show notes, um, wherever it was you picked up this podcast. And, and lastly, and almost more importantly, once again, we are proud members of the Forwardly family. Uh, very exciting to see how uh, the listenership is growing, not just for the, for the network itself, but for our show too. So uh, cheers, cheers. Uh, here's to more ears. I can't believe I said that. Oh, sorry. You better not cut that out. You better not. I won't. Um, But uh, now we are going to shift into uh, everybody's favorite uh, portion of the show, trailer trash talk. And I'm going to turn the spotlight back on my partner because he has some trailers he wants to tell us about. The two most important trailers that I saw were uh-huh. Eternals. Oh, yeah. Which really surprised me for two reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. the obvious reason, because it's directed by Chloe Zhao. And yes. those of us who just know her from... from uh, Nomadland. Uh, yeah, and... that's it. Yeah, Nomadland. Uh, never would have, you know, never would have made the leap that she'd be doing... Uh, something in the Marvel universe. Um, and the other I thing, absolutely agree. The other thing that really surprised me is that uh, it's a Marvel universe movie. I actually want to say. Right on, man. I do too. Um, in part because it's Chloe Zhao, but also because, well, for one, it looks like there's no knowledge of the other characters or storylines from the MCU required. Yeah. Required. Um, mm-hmm. And it, sounds like it's an interesting concept so i look forward to Mm -hmm. that uh and then the other trailer i saw was licorice pizza the paul thomas yes which i've seen now too yes yes tell me um it's interesting it's hard to kind of get a real firm grasp on what conflicts are going to be inherited in the plot it looks Mm -hmm. like a pretty you know as i was watching it i got a lot of almost famous vibe from it I think that's fair. Uh, the, the the early, all, all the early stuff of him in school, and then the bittersweet stuff with him and Kate, uh, Kate Hudson. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm definitely going to see it. I know it's BTA. Uh, you know, we'll see. Fascinating to me though is that they refuse in this trailer mm-hmm. to divulge the meaning of licorice pizza. Because when I heard that they had changed it to that title, I thought, yeah. and for those of our listeners who may not know, Licorice Pizza was a chain of record stores in Los Angeles in the 70s. I figured, oh, great, we're going to get some records in this movie. Now you got my interest. 
I like I like records. Right, right. I like to see people shopping records, <laughs> talking records, playing records. Bring it on. Sure. Uh, and uh, no, not, not a single, not a single record even held up in the trailer. So I'm really hmm. curious how the title is going to work its way into the story as presented in the trailer. Right, right. Um, and just to clarify, the trailer you saw is the one where basically there's a song playing in the background the whole time. Yes. Yeah, with little sort of bits and pieces of lines of dialogue here and there. Yeah, I. You know, I guess I guess I have to be honest, and I have to say that of all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies thus far, this trailer does not have me excited to see it. Right. I feel more right. obligated to see it more than something was coming off that screen that you know compelled you right it's, it's like not you can't hold a candle to the together for right. a second and getting that <laughs> right like the eternals did right <laughs> right i mean you watch that and you went oh wait a minute i want to see this i didn't think i did but now i do and you watch the uh the licorice pizza already knowing you were probably going to see it and you didn't go oh yeah good i can't wait you know it was like uh okay no um i'm still Exactly. Yeah, I'm still um, quite interested uh, in it, although I don't necessarily expect to to love it. I'm not a uh, uh, diehard PTA fan, or a, you know, I'm not one of those he can do no wrong type. And neither am I. Uh, consumers, but yeah, I, you know, there, there's definitely something I get out of all of his movies, even if even if I think they're weak on his spectrum. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I do feel like he has mastery of the, of the medium medium. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so he, he, it, something he makes might hit me or might not hit me, but it's not due to him being inept or anything like that. Um, well, that's cool. So yeah, we got to And a couple of those I think are already on our slate of things to see. And some of them yeah. we may have to work in, you know, we may have to find a way to, to do more than we're thinking. Um, the ever increasing slate. <laughs> uh, so glad we had a chance to talk about this. Um, before we uh, say goodbye, though, I'm going to turn it back on you because it is time for that listener contest. We can't get enough of it. <laughs> Bring it on. That's right. Doctor. And hopefully you all can't either. Gee. Uh, so today's contest trivia question is. Do tell. How many times has the James Bond character been married? Uh, that's good. I don't have the answer off the top of my head. I have an idea, but I'm not going to say anything. Obviously, one would have to name the movies. Yes, which I'm not also not prepared to do. Um, yes, yeah, so how many times have you married and in which movies? Do you also want to whom or do you not care that level of depth? No, no, no. Okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not getting into details like, you know, which model car did he drive in this? Right, scene. right, exactly. Uh, very good. So the question has been presented. Uh, tweet your entries to hashtag #hrxcontest. We will gather the correct answers there and randomly crown a winner. Uh, good luck to you all. It's there for the taking. But of course, you're all winners because you've listened <laughs> to this podcast. True enough. You are in the winner's circle with us already. Um, I think this examination is concluded. I concur. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. It certainly would not have been the same without you. 
For now, and until next time, the doctors are out. Well, the only thing I can say about the kid was at least she spoke French. That made it a little better for me. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, that you didn't have to hear her deliver her lines in English? Correct. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good point. The Sidetrack Podcast with host Deke Antrim is the newest podcast completely dedicated to all things movies. Conversations with guests are always a hilarious and informative way to deep dive into some of your favorite films, TV shows, and anything pop culture related. Check out our latest episode in which stars Sean Young and William Sanderson give behind-the-scenes stories never heard before from their experiences working on the sci-fi classic Blade Runner. Follow us at Sidetracked with an apostrophe D.Stream, brought to you by the Forwardly Network.